Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joined by... Mark Allen. And as a special guest, flown in from the Fens. <laughs> at We're no at, expense. At no expense at all. We're absolutely thrilled to have our old chum, Mr Trevor Dan. Well, Trevor. it's fantastic to be here. I'm, I'm just disappointed that I won't be able to listen to it not knowing what's coming. Well, you never know after we've edited it. Oh, yes, you'll... But... Uh, <laughs> Trevor's here wearing his, his radio hat because he now enjoys the exalted title of director of the Radio Academy, That's which me. is kind of the big posh body that looks after the interests of the whole of the radio industry. And we're going to be talking about Sony's and, you know, recent views on what's happening in pop radio in a minute. We've just been talking about and Sadly, listeners, you haven't been able to hear it. We've been talking about the grisly business of how they judge awards within the industry. Uh, from the point of view of the Sony Awards, and I've been on the Magazine Awards recently. And what do we know about awards, chaps? This is what we know. If you win them, they're a fine, overdue recognition <laughs> of what everybody has known for too long, which is you are a remarkable person. But if you don't win them, they are. It's a massive stitcher, calm, <laughs> and skullduggery of the highest order. A farrago. A farrago of <laughs> tissue of lies and <laughs> A vicious. Yeah. Do you notice that we're reacting much more to this than the other, which means we've obviously lost far more times than we've won, though. Yeah, but it's just true. I mean, what everybody does is when they're leaving, you know, Grosvenor House or wherever, having not won, then almost somebody put an arm around them saying, well, nobody takes any notice anyway. <laughs> that's you right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you got any statues? Uh, James, you're leaving up to the fact you obviously have got some statues. No, I feel really <laughs> aggrieved. I've been to your house many well times. I've visited Mark. all the lavatories and I don't think it's a single... Oh, Jesus, how big is it? Enormous. What was I it for? I've got a thing that's literally, literally a doorstop, but it's for a, young, a long, 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 long time. literally I'm, a doorstop. I am yeah. not, I'm not pulling rank, because normally these things... The trophies are absolutely tawdry things, usually, knocked up by some guy in uh, Kingley Street round the back of Carnaby Street in uh, in Soho. Um, no, anyway. What's the matter. statue of? It's, it's, it's a, a Society of Magazine oh, is a thing oh, I've got from so long ago, it's untrue. A Sony anyway. Radio Award is a model of a Sony Radio. It looks quite nice, I've seen it. It's that. very lovely. Yeah, it's worth having. I got one of those for the Smash It's radio show, which I had nothing to do with at all. That's nice. So there's probably somebody listening who actually produced that entire programme and it took months doing it, thinking, why? <laughs> <laughs> In fact, well, I signed the entry form when I was working oh, at Oh, good work. And, and so they sent me one. I thought, I'll have that. You, 
You signed the cheque for the entry. Good work. Anyway, I, I, just brief interlude, chaps, because I know you, you guys will respond to this subject. Been a bit of a thread running on the Word website recently, wordmagazine.co.uk, about um, inspired by a new uh, alleged supergroup called Goon Moon, who was formed by members of Nine Inch Nails and Queens of the Stone Age. And people were, uh, were invited to speculate on what were the weediest excuses for supergroups uh, ever invented. Now, we all, you know, we all kind of remember the, the ones who had some kind of success, don't we? Worse than Emerson, Lake and Powell. Yeah, well, Powell was a substitute for Palmer, wasn't he, when Palmer left? They needed some... After somebody's name began with P. They did, yeah. Emerson, didn't want to change all the merchandise, did they? So Ginger Baker, Ginger Baker wouldn't have done at all, would he? They wouldn't. No, because that's the thing that fascinates me about supergroups, is that if they're not successful, you completely forget about them, don't you? Do you remember Rough Diamond, Trevor? I do remember Rough Diamond. Tell us who was in Rough Diamond. I can't remember. Was was there somebody from (laughs) Deep Purple? I think think it was David Byron out of Uriah Heat. Uriah Heat. Oh, my God, I've forgotten the other two. They've gone already. Well, thank goodness for you. You've established your credibility again. (laughs) Did you ever see Pace, Ashton and Lord? Oh, Lord, yeah. They're always threes, aren't they? Yeah. Why are they threes? Two keyboards and a drummer. Not a lot of music. That's shocking, isn't it? (laughs) Little Village, do you remember them? Oh, well, Little Village. looked like they were going to be really good. Could have been good. I was Fizzled t- out. It was Nick Lowe, I think, and Jim Keltner, Ry Cooder, and Didn't like John each I. other. Didn't like each other. I had one think, rehearsal I, and know, I, found I, a contract. I was very <laughs> remiss. Out. No, I was very remiss, actually, because I interviewed Nick Lowe the other week for uh, for Word, and, uh, and he's a lovely chap. And I was going to ask him about Little Village, and I never got around to it. But it was clearly one of those cases where the managers couldn't get on, I think, rather than the, the guys in the band. Everybody went into the band with a totally different agenda. They, they made this album at significant expense, which promoted and so forth. They played in London and then were gone within like a week. Oh, you know, I know. That, uh, you know, everybody decided they couldn't get on with each other and that, uh, you know, that what Raikuda wanted wasn't what John Hyatt wanted or the usual arguments about who can be up front. As well, I was a cub reporter for New Musical Express, one of my first assignments, Dave, UK. Do you remember okay. that? Bill Bruford. Oh, let's see if we can do it. Bill John Wetton. Oh, this is incredible. That's two, 50%. Fiddle player. Uh, J- Eddie Jobson. Oh, oh, oh no! And I think the missing piece of the jigsaw is Alan Holdsworth. Oh, oh uh, yeah. just a little ready for that. <laughs> and I, I was uh, about 23 years old and I was terribly scared of them. And they thought I was ridiculous, you know. <laughs> Uh, and a, probably a punk rocker who's going to mm. stitch them up. And all I remember is the four of them arrived in separate sports cars <laughs> and screeched, sort of throwing a load of gravel up at this Shepperton studio. And, uh, you know, I was rather impressed by that. Do you remember the supergroup who, I don't know if they even made a record, but they got on the cover of Smash Hits? Uh, the Professionals? The Professionals. Oh, God! Trevor, <laughs> Trevor, can, oh, yeah, you, yeah. can you yeah. name oh, yeah. Trevor Dand? It's a bloke out of a punk band. There's two blokes out of punk uh, band. Quite a, quite a well-known punk band. Someone out of Skids? No. Two, two members of the Sex Pistols. Oh. And their mate worked in a bar. He worked Some yeah. bloke with long hair, do you remember? Yeah, really long long now, if they'd had that bloke hair. from the Skids, they'd probably have made it. Who Did you put them on the cover of no, the Ian Jockey Cranner. It certainly Well, Jockey, if you're made. listening, you should <laughs> be thoroughly ashamed of yourself. Hey, and again, I put Jimmy the Hoover on the cover of Smash It. So talking of having different managers, I had to interview uh, Glenn and Chris from Squeeze last week. Fine and I, I asked them why they'd 
got back together to do another tour and all the rest of it. Uh, I asked them, you know, well, who rang who? And Glenn said, well, because in, uh, in the way that we have to work now, in our very kind of Fleetwood Mac way, we have separate managers. So they talked to each other and decided oh. it would be a good idea. And then they rang us and asked us if we'd like to do it. That's, That's how bands reform nowadays. I think, I think they tend to start with lawyers, don't they? And, uh, and they find their way to the, uh, to the members of the group later Worst on. Worst supergroup ever. Go on. I know the answer. Go on. Power station. Oh. oh. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, Good right. night. God bless. <laughs> if you're driving, don't forget your car. <laughs> I'm one. <laughs> Except. They were Russian. No, 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 no. You're not going to defend they, them, are you? I'm going to defend them on these grounds, Mark Allen. Right. They had, I think I'm right in saying, the greatest drummer who ever Tony Thompson drummed of the sheep. on the drums. Yeah, drummed on the drums. <laughs> Tony Thompson. We were drums, drummingly on the drums. Tony Thump Thompson, as I think they call <laughs> it. Is that right? right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely so, right. So, go on, who's the rest of Power Station? I mean, two members John of the John Taylor. Own. John Taylor on the bass, Andy Taylor, no relation on the drum, on the guitar, and, well, originally some bloke from Silverhead who's no, 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 no. But then Robert no, Palmer. Robert Palmer oh, first. I'm singing. Robert Palmer, who was actually rather, rather good, wasn't he? But what was he doing there? A pair of uh, leisure slacks, belted leisure slacks. <laughs> And, uh, you know, a Pringle sweater. Well, I think you know. he's making cash. <laughs> yes, he's making cash. He's been, he'd been subject to the terrible intimidation of men walking into the room carrying each corner of a large cheque. That That's can right. be embarrassing, yeah, can't it? Yeah, can. I wish it would happen to me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, if you've got any more suggestions for the lamest supergroups in the history of popular music, wordmagazine.co.uk, where you can exchange your views with like minds. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. Now, Trevor, we've asked you here today, in a fine bit of radio jargon, uh, to luck with the tour. To talk. <laughs> I'll be back after these messages. And it is, in fact, ten minutes after the top of the hour. Indeed, it is. <laughs> it is. Indeed, it is. Twenty-two capital gold minutes to the Batman witching hour of six o'clock. Okay, text to win. Can I say, I was once travelling to a wonderful uh, local radio uh, show, uh, Radio Cambridgeshire. You're going to humiliate me now. No, I'm not, you? Trev. I'm we're going to have the old, those first impressions no, gag, aren't we? No, I wasn't going to mention yeah. that at all. What you used to have was a cartridge that played your sick tune. That's for you. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that. And it was fantastic. And what I actually used to do, it used to go for news and information. <laughs> I'm glad I live around here. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Radio Cambridgeshire. I think we, that's what he used to play. I think we I want that again. <laughs> <laughs> we want a clean recording. Do you want that? Okay, all right. Do you want me to count okay. you in yeah. or anything like yeah. that? Do you want me to introduce it again or just go straight in? Just go it. straight in. Okay. One, two, three. For news and information, I'm glad I live around here with BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. Oh, that's oh. all harmony. That was good. That was fantastic. And the listeners said, great. Let's and then have more Floyd, <laughs> more Grantchester Meadows, which is always the answer to the uh, yeah. quiz, by the way. Uh, I don't want to give it away. They're probably still doing it today. Did you ever, did you more public foot the Roman. More public foot the Roman. Did you ever have to speak to Norfolk's youngest butcher on this program? <laughs> <laughs> That's what Alan Partridge did on Radio Norfolk, isn't it? I'll be back with Norfolk's, Norfolk's youngest, youngest butcher. butcher. Yeah. And it's five o'clock in the morning, isn't it? <laughs> it. Get him on there. Anyway, I'm going to get to the point, yeah, go on. which is Eamon Ford wrote uh, uh, an opinion piece in the new issue, basically saying, if I can, if I can pricey, Trevor, he's saying pop music... It, on the radio in the year 2007. What's that for, then? You know, people have got loads of other ways of, of accessing this. The, you know, pop radio doesn't have the, uh, you know, the role that it used to have, and it's, uh, it'll soon be forgotten. It'll soon be one with Nineveh and Tyre. 
Trevor. Well, it's all very well, he said, <laughs> for you. Uh, intellectual over 50s in your, in your ivory tower uh, to say that nobody listens to music radio. The truth is, in the UK at least, more people are listening to music radio than ever have before. So it can't be quite as bad as you say. But there's a point that, that uh, Eamon Ford makes in this comment. I, I, I've got a feeling it must be a bit true. My children are not teenagers, actually. They're 21 and 23, but they don't listen to music radio. Uh, they listen, one of them lives on the south coast and listens to French radio, because that's what you do when you live on the south coast. It's a little bit cool to listen to French radio. And the other one listens to pirate radio, because it lives in Shoreditch. But they don't listen to a national radio network. And I think one of the reasons is they're not, quite, they're not, they're not that absorbed by any of the personalities. And they don't listen to commercial radio because they find it very, very hard to uh, deal with advertising if you're now used to technologies that can punch through advertising. It's true so, that young, younger people are far less patient about bumping into advertising and the yeah. commercial model in the, in the UK, indeed all over the world, has always been, well, we'll play some nice records and you'll probably sit through one or two you don't like and you'll certainly sit through the adverts even if they're not relevant to you because you like the stuff that is on. And the younger generation who are less patient are less likely to put up with that. And they've, they've now got their iPods and all the rest of it. The thing is that I think that a lot of what we... That a lot of what some people don't call radio is still radio. I think if you're uh, listening to some of those audio streams and downloads and podcasts and things, I mean, like this, you probably don't think this is radio when you're making it. But actually, when it's coming out of the little headphones yeah. into my ears on the tube train, it sounds like a radio show, and that's kind of what it is. And I think that... But um, it won't have any music in it, obviously. No, well, this doesn't we, have we any can't. music in it, yeah. and, and that is a problem. I mean, we're dealing with... Um, a new uh, delivery system, and the regulation uh, authorities haven't caught up yet. This is a bit like needle time. You remember when yeah, there yeah. was radio, but we couldn't play as many records as we liked? Well, eventually that stuff will get solved, I think. And then we'll have a lot more audio on demand. I think one of the most interesting things somebody said to me the other day is that he said, you know, a podcast, he said, it's not actually a broadcast for an iPod. The POD stands for Programming on Demand. Well, of course, it doesn't. He's made that up. But right. if you think oh, of yeah, it as, as that, suddenly you think, ah, I see. I see what radio is. It's about liberating radio from having to be broad. You know, you guys who do magazines, you learnt years ago that you could just attack the 65,000 niche people you want. And if you get them all, you've got a successful magazine. You used to joke to me years ago about designing a magazine called Horse and Hovercraft. Oh, yeah. Well, there probably is a podcast now for people who like it's riding horses and looking at people in Hovercraft. <laughs> it's probably being made in a room like this as we speak. And radio is learning, I think, to deal with niches, and consequently, um, it's going to have to change its business models. It's interesting to me via the website to see the feedback from, uh, uh, from readers. It's the kind of bitterness they seem to feel about radio that you know somebody comes along and says you know I was I was uh, you know I was listening to Joe Wiley the other day and she drove me mad with something she said and the next thing I know that's so unfair that story about Joe Wiley and a funny story about a kid and uh, his friend is called Jake and she gets the wrong Jake and it's a member of the Scissor Sisters well we've all done that we've all done that (laughs) if you'd done that you would have told us I've heard your show 
on, on GLR in, in them old days, you would have told that story. I, if that had happened to me this morning, I would tell that story to you now. I haven't read I think this. it's really like, unfair. The people who haven't read it, what, what was this person, why is he complaining about Joe Wiley? Well, what, because she, she told the story on the radio about needing to sort out her children's birthday party or something, and this involved a boy called Jake, and she'd, she'd rung what she thought was Jake's mum, and, you know, she got it mixed up with Jake Shears out of the Scissor Sisters on her mobile. Now, some people might say... It does look a rather self-interested tale. <laughs> I think that's a good story. Oh, OK. But here's the point. Yeah. You can't, if you're having to defend these people, you're having to face the fact that the public is not warming to them on a massive scale. Yes? That, that, that there's a lot of... There's incredible cynicism about DJs, isn't there? In well, way. there's an incredible cynicism about some kind of DJs from some kind of listeners. That was always the case. You know, b- back in, in, in Radio One days, when I, when I first got a job there, I found uh, there was this book that was kept in, the, uh, in room 306 that was called The Berry Street Edmonds File. And in it, you wrote things that DJ said that were rubbish. And it was named after the fact that Tony Blackburn had once played a record for somebody who lived in Berry Street, Edmonds. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever somebody said, you know... <laughs> This one's by ZZ Top. You went, oh, I'll go and write that in the Berry Street Edmonds file. I think, you know, that stuff's been going on uh, for years. And, um, you know, you like some DJs and you don't like some others. And, you know, uh, a lot of it's about personal taste. But it is about, um, you know, the world that they are in is trying to maximise their audience. And there are simply more people who do like what you would dismiss as, as inane Twitter then there are people who want carefully crafted um, magazines. Don't you think there's a major difference between... You're a pompous arse, Mark Ellen. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. No, I'm not a pompous arse. Uh, how dare you, sir? Uh, blunderbusses <laughs> are gone, and you, I shall make you very sorry for having a... No, don't you think there's a difference between nighttime and, and daytime yeah. radio? Because, you know, Mainstream and specialist. Radio, if Joe Wiley had told that story at 11 o'clock at night, I would have thought it was hilarious, you know. Yeah. And because of the daytime, uh, you know, radio is there to try and encourage practical activities like getting through the day and getting your children dressed and getting to school and driving a car or whatever. And at nighttime, it's mostly just listened to by single people mm. alone with that radio, have a completely different relationship with it. In defence of DJs, I made this point on the website, though. Serious point. You know, what I learned from my fumbles with, you know, self-operating radio programmes, and you've done a few of those, Mark, is that radio DJs have to be able to have to be able to speak while thinking about something totally different, don't they? And I, I can't think of anywhere else in life that rewards that kind of thing. You know, that a DJ is thinking about how much time have I got? What's the record after the next one? What's somebody shouting on my ear? Can I operate this equipment? What time am I going home? While at the same time, the mouth is just. Well, and it's also, just working on its own, isn't it? That that's completely true. But also, you and I have largely worked in radio stations where they've let us do what we want. I mean, in your case and mine, picking our own records, which is pretty much unheard of in in commercial radio. I mean, let's be clear and about this, because some, some people aren't clear about this. It literally doesn't go on anymore, does it? Hardly at all. I mean, I, I do a show once a week on something called Classic Gold, and I get to pick my own records, but I, I'm... You know, there's about half a dozen of us in the UK are allowed to do this. And that's because, you know, the the guys who, who market radio reckon that keeping the station sound consistent throughout the day is the way you do it. 
But the other thing that they've done increasingly over the last 20 years in the UK is stamped out personality. And they've done that for a lot of good reasons, which is if you, if you give a lot of people, you know, you're paying 45 quid for five hours' work uh, on air, uh, freedom, then they will talk a load of old bollocks. So, but what it has meant that even quite uh, creative people, you, you know, they're... They, they, it's, it's hard now for a Kenny Everett to grow up through that system because they're not given any freedom. They're told, you must say the name of the station at the beginning of the link, you must say the name of the station as the last yeah. words of the link, you must read out this, you must say that about this competition, text and win. And blah, blah, blah. They, they have no freedom to develop a relationship through their own personality with the listener. And that's why I think some listeners find it a bit empty and, and, and they don't engage with it. And don't you think there's another, another, another real change in radio is that, is that in the 1970s, 1980s, particularly on Radio 1, uh, it consisted of individuals talking to an audience uh, and often talking about themselves, actually. Probably because they didn't have anyone to talk to or bounce off, and therefore young, young resorted to yeah, exactly. And now nobody seems to be able to operate without some kind of what, what I believe is called a zoo format. That they have to have two or three people around them, or at least one who's there constantly. Because again, your relationships completely changed. Because in those days, you were simply dealing with Tony Blackburn, whether you liked him or you didn't. He appears to be talking to you, but now you're sort of listening in on a load of people, probably rather like this actually, a load of people sitting around on a world of leather sofa. Uh, drinking a beer. <laughs> I've given away a terrible secret there, haven't I? Um, you know what I mean? And you're just part of some experience, rather like a, going down to the pub or whatever. I mean, that's mm. changed as well, isn't it? I think, I think that, that that's something that um, we took from America. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a generation of radio programmers like me who grew up thinking that the zoo format was very alien. In fact, you know, you were always told, uh, don't talk to other people in the studio yeah. because it's Absolutely. very alienating it to the punter. Rule. Talk to, you know, they here's something for out. you. Here's something that you may like. That yeah. was the kind of style we were, we were meant yeah. to adopt. And it came in later. Personally, my favourite presenters have always been the ones who've kept doing that. You know, I, I, I like, obviously, I always liked Peel. But Peel, you never felt... Peel was on at a podium, did you? You always felt Peel was actually sitting on the world leather sofa with you and kind of mumbling around, oh, I've got one ear, I don't know yeah. where... And you know, again, the fact that he was also late at night yeah. made that uh, experience far more intimate, I think. Mm. So, Trevor, you've had an experience of dealing with DJs over a long period of time. My theory, they're all mad. <laughs> well, you've been <laughs> one, I've been one. You have to be a bit bonkers to do it. So I you? think the very notion... Mm. You know, sitting in a studio and just talking to a microphone is, uh, you know, is, uh, is, is something not for sane individuals. And, uh, you know, given the, this change into the zoo format, do you think they're more mad or less mad? That's a, that's a, that's a good question. I think they're more protected... Um, by all the stuff, you know, the, the people who have the zoo formats actually tend to, you know, often they have scripts written for them. Um, they have, um, uh, you know, comic one-liners given to their um, uh, oppos that they can bounce off. There's quite a lot of preparation You're being done. You're telling me done. it's not spontaneous? Some of it isn't spontaneous. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, Trevor, the, the moment has come. Um, <laughs> this is it. This, <laughs> this been the tragic. anecdote. <laughs> We're, we're coming. We're coming, to the, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and it's t- you know it's traditional that every visitor has to bring a little something to the party. In this case, a little story. A little story. From your uh, your rich, colourful uh, experience in radio. What's okay. it to be, Trevor? Uh, this will be about Bates in the States. <laughs> uh, this will be about the the broadcasting colossus that is and was Simon Bates, a man who. 
when I joined Radio 1, was five years older than me, and when I left, was three years younger. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Um, eternal eternal youth policy at Radio 1. It kind of happens. It's probably still going on today, isn't it? Yeah, I I don't know. They're probably reversing towards 21. My friend's only 27. He was... uh, uh, he was known for, for being uh, economic with the actuality. My favourite one of the, uh, that he did was he, when he was doing Bates in the States, he was told to do New York and L.A. And he didn't want to go to New York. So he went to L.A. and said, well, don't worry, they'll never notice. I'll do it as though I'm in New York. And uh, the people who, of course, noticed were the guys who had to plug it up for, in the control room. And so they said... Uh, yeah, they got a guy coming on saying, uh, "We've got uh, uh, Los Angeles here. I've got Mr. Bates for you." And go, no, he's not there. It's wrong, Mr. Bates. We're expecting Mr. Bates from, from New, New York. York. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this was eventually settled. But even though he was three hours out of time, he was still pretending that he was in some uh, New York diner. And he was saying to his producer, oh, come on, Malcolm, let's have a few more, uh, you know, fried eggs. Burritos. Refried beans or whatever it was. Isn't that Woody Allen over there? Yes, it was was exactly the Mexican border. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Symes, Symes, Symes thought he was bigger than the radio station at that point. What a terrible deception, which has reminded me of one that occurred when... You and I were both there many years ago. Trevor used to produce Rock On Rock on, on. On, on Radio 1. And he got me on once in a, in a panel with John Tobler and uh, and the late Tommy Vance. TV on uh, radio. TV on radio. Larynx, Larynx on legs. On legs. Um, <laughs> there was a man who was a genuine legend. And, uh, and we had to recap the year in rock. And you got me to talk about going to see Led Zeppelin at Nebworth. And I, mm. I laid into Led Zeppelin and Nebworth with both feet. I said, oh, they were terrible. And now, to be fair, I had been, okay, I'd been sent by mm. Sounds magazine to review Led Zeppelin at Nebworth. And Tommy, you know, just instinctively felt he had to spring to their defence. And said, no, they were, they were great, they were fantastic, how can you say that? And all this, you know. He said, were you there, Tommy? No, no, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> Afterwards, when Trevor was doing the edit, he took Trevor in a corner and said, Trevor, that bit I said about Nebworth. He said, yeah, he says, can you lose it? He says, right. So it wasn't... <laughs> no, you know... Very old school. God bless Tommy Vance, wherever he is, you know, but that's a very old school kind of... It said, said something quite profound to me about DJs, is that they feel they have to be seen to be batting for the right team. Mm. They feel they have to be seen on the side of, that, of the yeah. angels, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They can't involve themselves in controversy at all. What was that terrible... Uh, Led Zeppelin record that came in a brown paper bag towards the end of their lives. In Through the Outdoor. Um, When I was at Radio 1, we were uh, invited for a a private hearing uh, of this because we couldn't be given a copy in case we played it before the worldwide consolidated air date. Uh, so uh, so we were all tanked to listen to it. And I don't know whether you remember it, but it is poor, you know. Yeah, it's substandard. It's substandard. Yeah. As it's a cash And um, so uh, I was in the office and uh, some guy came on and he said, um, oh, hi, um, this is, uh, I think it was CN Radio or something from, uh, from Toronto. 
Uh, we've been told that you've been at the private hearing of the fantastic new Led Zeppelin album. Uh, would you like to come on and talk about it? Can you sing a bit of it? Yeah, so I said, yeah, OK, I'll come and talk about it. So joining us now is Mr. Trevor Dan from the BBC. In England. Uh, all this rubbish. So, so uh, well, it must have been a great experience for you. Tell us, share with us uh, just how great the album is. And I said something like, I thought it was rather rubbish actually you know and, and I, you know, I went on in my kind of mumbly East Midlands way about how it wasn't very good and it turned out that the reason they wanted to do this was because Led Zeppelin were at that point in Toronto poised to go on the radio station to plug it and so oh, we're ne- about to join the broadcast absolutely so um, the next time I saw Robert Plant I had to run <laughs> very fast down a Radio 1 corridor He's, it's you he said pointing at me Dear God, at least it wasn't John Bonham and Peter, <laughs> Peter Grant. I wouldn't have lived to be on the word Robert podcast a sweetheart <laughs> compared, to, compared to those two, who are also no longer with us. We've gone we, off. Well, anyway, chaps, that's, uh, that's to use an old radio force, <laughs> that's all we've got, got time for. Because Trevor's got to go and meet somebody, and Mike's got to go to dial. a gig. Yeah. And uh, thanks very much for being here. Same time, same place same on the dial. Same place on the dial. <laughs> The uppers, the downers, and the just hanging around us. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.